My name is Nathaniel. I am the worship and young adults director here, and I am really excited to be able to bring you the word this morning. Um, we're going to jump out of our Hebrew study just once again for this morning, but I promise I am not taking us too far. We're going to stick around in Hebrews, but I'm just going to jump over to the beginning of the book. Um, our young adult ministry just started. Yeah, and by the way, if you don't know any of our young adults, you better get to know them because they're super awesome and they're super fun. Shout out to our young adult ministry here. And they serve in almost like every area of this church. So they are just, they're an awesome group of people. So I encourage you to really get to know them. Yeah. Just a little shout out to that ministry there. Um, But we, just a couple weeks ago, we started, um, uh, we do a Bible study when we meet and we open up Book of Hebrews. I thought it was just a perfect opportunity in conjunction with this Hebrew study just to look at uh, the book as a whole. And it's been a really awesome study for us uh, and in our first week, we, uh, a passage in there really stuck out to me, and I just thought it would be a great opportunity for us to dive in a little bit more into that passage. Um, so if you grab your Bibles, we're going to be turning to Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to be focused on the first four verses of that chapter. Now just a little context of, uh, of this chapter 2 here. Chapter 1 is really laying out this very rich explanation on just who the Son of God is. Um, And it says that Jesus Christ, in chapter 1, says he's the only one to be called the Son, capital S, the Son. And so the author is taking his time extolling the superiority of the Son of God. He's highlighting the superiority over the message of angels and of the Mosaic Law, both of which were very highly regarded in this time and in this generation. So, But with all this rich theology that we see in chapter 1 concerning Jesus, it's not just for um, interesting information for people to discuss. We're going to see here in chapter 2 that the author is connecting all of this exposition of Jesus' authority to the exhortation and applicational information by telling the hearers of this letter what to do with all of this rich theology. So it's a big old setup for some of this message coming up here, and he's What he's doing here is he's pointing to a danger that we need to acknowledge, and the danger that he is wanting us to confront is that you are either drifting with regard to your salvation because of neglect, or you are growing because of deliberate attention. So let's just jump in. We're going to read all of those verses, all four of those verses, and then we'll kind of break that down as we go today. So um, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If you don't have a Bible, of course, there are some along the aisles there if they haven't been grabbed. If you're joining us online, hello through the camera there. Um, I encourage you to uh, grab your Bibles as well and participate uh, through that with us. Um, All right, so starting in verse 1, I'll read this, uh, follow along with me. It says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will." So that's our passage for this morning. You hear phrases like drifting away, and I know for me, um, the image of like an ocean or a body of water came to mind, and it made me think of, uh, I don't know if you saw this in the news a couple weeks ago, um, 
there's four women who completed a challenge that many were calling one of the toughest races on earth. We got some of those images. So uh, there's a map kind of showing where they were, but it was covering 2,400 nautical miles. It was 34 straight days where they only had 90-minute sleep breaks, and they sailed in a, in a rowboat across from San Francisco to Hawaii without stopping. And I would see stories like this over those 34 days, and um, they would kind of show uh, like maps of where the boat was um, and kind of draw a line of their route and show where they were based off of that route. And I have zero open water experience, but it, to me, I would just look at that and be like, yeah, it kind of feels like they're getting off course here, but they had to really pay attention to where they were going. It wasn't always a straight line. They had to pay attention to the wind. They had to pay attention to the current to know what was the safest route for them to reach their destination without getting off course. And so in chapter 2, we are confronted actually with the first of five different warnings in the book of Hebrews. And this author wants us to think and feel and move rightly according to this greater salvation, as it's mentioned in our passage, that's offered to us in Jesus. And he uses these warnings to keep our attention focused and fixed on Jesus. And it reminded me of a, a verse later in Hebrews, just one of my personal favorite verses in Hebrews 12:2, where it says, to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now, that's the NIV version. Sorry, that's what I grew up on. Sorry, it's not ESV. But these, mornings, these, these warnings are meant to create in us a perseverance in the Christian life um, and it's to, to highlight just what is at stake, especially to prepare for us um, just in those seasons of life um, when our feelings and our affections toward Christ uh, may feel dull. And we, just, we cannot pretend like those seasons have not happened or don't have um, the possibility of happening. And so with that in mind, just, I want our main thought to be this morning... Um, avoid drifting by paying attention to the gospel of our salvation. And my prayer is that we're going to be challenged today from the author of Hebrews in this warning of neglect that he gives us. And that through our acknowledgement of Jesus' superiority over every other deliverer of the gospel message, we can then see the danger that we as followers of Jesus face when we neglect this truth in our lives. I want us to assess our faith just to see if we are engaging fully in this great salvation provided to us through Jesus. You know, are you moving toward a life of faith and repentance or are you drifting away as this passage warns us against? Are, are you being taken by the tide of culture or maybe your own spiritual self-focused reconstruction or just like plain old apathy? So let's break down this passage and we'll have three different points that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to first look at verse 1. And I'll just read that to you again. Um, it says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And so I think from this first verse, we can see a command to heed, which, you know, just a, a command to pay careful attention to, a command to heed. You know, as I touched on earlier, chapter 1 uh, really set the stage with mapping out the theology about the person and work of Jesus. If you go back and read that whole chapter, you're going to see laid out in that scripture that Jesus, it says, is the eternal son of the Father. And I'll just give you a couple of glimpses of this. In verse 3 in chapter 1, it says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. 
verse 5 says, says that together with the Father, so too the Son and the Spirit is to be worshipped and glorified. It says, let all God's angels worship him, the Son. And then verse 8 speaks to the eternal reign of Jesus the Son as King. So we ask ourselves, who is, who is the Son that we encounter in chapter 1 and who this author now is calling us to pay much closer attention to? Well, he is the one that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same who, who took on flesh incarnate, took the form of servant. He made purification for sins. He became our great high priest. He became our final word and the better prophet. He, the one who, in defeating sin and death, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He is our great king who even now rules and defends in the heavenly places. So this word of salvation that we are commanded to pay much closer attention to, we see is the hope of the world. And the author informs us that everything that was unpacked in chapter 1 about the Son, they're really they're critical matters of life and death for us as Christ's followers. And it's not to be diminished, it's not to be discarded in our lives. These truths are extreme significance to the everyday Christ follower. In chapter 2, in view of everything that was said about Jesus, the author commands that we pay closer attention to what we have heard to avoid that drifting. We have to pay attention. Because we have this great, incredible advantage of having received the gospel. We receive these incredible truths, uh, and we have every opportunity to hear them. We have them so accessible to us. But with these great advantages that we have available comes an even greater responsibility to hear and heed what has been graciously revealed. See, there you go. It's our, it's our own personal modified Spider-Man mantra. You see, with great advantages comes great responsibility, right? That speaks to some of us, right? Whoever else has always wanted to be a superhero. I think I talk about superheroes in another message. I think I need to find a new topic. But you see, in Luke 12, for example, Jesus tells us that uh, everyone to whom much has been given of him, much will be required. So because we have been given so much by way of revelation, we have all the more reason to pay much closer attention to what we have heard. The, uh, the ESV translated words of uh, pay attention and drift away, maybe not too surprising, you talked about water, it's, they're sailing terms in the Greek. Are there any sailors in the room? Any people like nuts for nautical life? Anyone? No? Oh, there's no one. I'm raising my hand like I have any experience. I don't know if I've ever actually been on a boat except for like those ferries that you drive your car onto and you go like look at bald eagles. Um, has anyone done that? Okay. But we get this imagery of keeping a boat uh, on its intended course while actively fighting against the currents and the wind to stay pointed in the desired direction. And so then we as a church are challenged in this same way to stay firmly fixed on the gospel, to keep it at the front of our thoughts and hearts at all times, and then to go deeper and fight against any of that drifting so we never lose sight of it. Because we pay greater attention because of the greater blessing our salvation has given and that idea, it just it made me think of uh, a time I was in Romania on a mission trip in high school. I went on a couple of those to Romania when I was in high school. And we spent a day at the Black Sea on one of our day, days off. And it was so awesome. 
Um, and I was just, I was having a great time in the water, um, not really paying attention to, like, where we were, what we were doing. And it only was until, until a little later that I realized that the water had just fully moved us all the way down the beach line. I mean, it took us quite a few minutes to walk back up to where our, the rest of our team was. Because I just, I had totally lost my focus. You know, I was engrossed in my own activities. I was enjoying what was directly in front of me. I didn't even notice that I was being moved further and further away from where I originally started. Now, of course, in this story, I wasn't in a life-threatening situation. You know, I wasn't in some dangerous riptide that pulled me out to open waters. But what's scary about that is the National Ocean Service they actually report that riptides account for an estimated 100 deaths per year. And those are scary because uh, there are these easily missed, narrow currents, and they can happen on any kind of day of weather. A day that you're feeling the safest in the water, um, these can come out of nowhere with no warning, and they can pull you out to, to open water at 8 feet per second. And you really have no control over that. Obviously, I, I didn't experience this, thankfully, but in both scenarios, I was not paying attention. I wasn't engaged well enough with what was around me or what was moving me. I didn't even try to fight against it. I didn't have a plan for the changes in the current. So we need to pay attention. We need to pay attention because when the stakes are this high, we have to stay alert to the spiritual drift in our lives. So maybe... For you, maybe it's a season of just prayerlessness or unconfessed sin or maybe you have a lack of repentance or maybe just isolation from any spiritual community which takes you, takes you to a point where it just chips away at any spiritual growth or progress you've seen in your life. And then that in turn opens a door of inv- invitation to any other desires of the flesh and of this world into your hearts and life. And we have to acknowledge that the heart is fragile and it is fickle. And even the smallest of temptations can have the ability to veer us off of our course without us even realizing, even in light of what is already exhorted in this first verse, even in light of this great blessing and the riches that we have access to as children of God. Paul warns in Ephesians 4 it says, he says, not to be children who are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, human cunning, craftiness, deceitful scheme, but rather to grow up into maturity and, and by paying much closer attention to what we have heard in the gospel. And we're seeing the same message that uh, the author of Hebrews is delivering in this passage, that we are called to take heed of what we have already heard and received in the gospel. But maybe you hear this and it, the idea of drifting really doesn't sound uh, too worrisome for you. And maybe when you think of drifting, maybe you think of like a, a lazy river, you know, where it's, it, can, it can just kind of take you, but it's in like a nice little safe circle, takes you back to where you started. Yeah, I love a good lazy river personally because I don't then have to swim or do anything. I can just let it move me around. Um, so if you see this drift as like a refreshing, restful experience, or maybe you just see it as something that there's not much at stake here, I ask you to continue on with me here as we look at these next couple of verses. We're going to see the author, in his command to pay much, much closer attention, highlights exactly what is 
at stake if we drift away. Our second point this morning, we see a caution to fear. And we see that in uh, verses 2 and 3. And Again, I'll, I'll read those again for you. It says, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So as I said, the book of Hebrews has a handful of warning passages. And these warnings are meant to uh, highlight just the importance of persevering in our Christian life by directly laying out uh, and being just real about the consequences for turning away and actively rejecting Jesus. And when we invite temptation into our lives or we ignore and diminish the riches of the gospel, we see that these warnings remind us exactly what is at risk so that we can fight against the, uh, and correct our drifting. That's what's found in this passage. And first, we read about what happened in the Old Testament when the law of God was sidelined or violated. And when we read this text about the message uh, declared by angels, this isn't just like obscure knowledge that no one really knew anything about. This is direct reference to the law given to Moses and to Israel on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. And when you go back and look at that, specifically in Exodus 20 where the law is given, you might not specifically see a reference to angels there, but as you read uh, other uh, books of the Bible, you'll see uh, areas of scripture where the author, authors reflect on that event and of the giving of the law, and you'll see through that reflection that they tell us that the law was accompanied by angelic activity. So some examples you see in um, Acts 7.38, when Stephen is talking, he says, this is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai. Uh, Paul in Galatians 3.19 also says, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise has been made and it was put in place through angels by an inter intermediary. So we can see this connection about this message delivered by angels in the book of Hebrews back to the law of Moses that we read about in Exodus. And it was given, it says, because of the transgressions and sins of man. We see in our text today that this message that was declared by angels proved to be reliable. It says that to us. It says that every transgression and disobedience did receive a just retribution, a judgment. So that message was, re was reliable. Other translations uh, uses the word binding. So this law is binding and firm and secure. There are no ways around these commands. There's no way to find any kind of loophole. They were subject to the demands of the law and the repercussions for breaking it. And throughout the Old Testament, we find that when this occurs, in examples of someone just disobeying and transgressing the law of God, they did face punishments. Things like breaking uh, the laws, like cursing the name of God, or even just working on the Sabbath, uh, according to the law, their consequences was being stoned to death. Thankfully, that is not uh, our penalty anymore. That is not the way I would want to go out of this world because I also don't know, I don't know if I'd want to see how many of you would be like way too eager to like toss that rock at me. You might just have one at the ready. But it points uh, just how serious it was to be aligned with the law that was given to Moses through the angels. 
these examples just emphasize that the covenant of God entered into with his people on Mount Sinai was absolutely binding in its promises, in its conditions, and in its penalties. And I know this seems harsh, but it's important for us to see from these verses that every transgression and disobedience of the law did receive penalty because as true as this was under the old covenant, that part isn't even the main point. What he's trying to do here is instead establish that because this was absolutely certain to have occurred under the Mosaic law, he makes the point that these stakes are actually incredibly raised for us. And we're reminded that we have, because we have even greater advantages and benefits in this new covenant, we must acknowledge that if retribution for the neglect of God's word was absolutely certain for any offenders of the old covenant, how much more certain is judgment for those who neglect the word made flesh by the Savior of sinners? So I said this, the second point was a caution to fear. And I know that the idea uh, that fear would function as proper motivation is often looked at as like an undesirable motive. We don't necessarily always... That's just not a way we want to be described as being motivated. It's not necessarily a compliment to a person in our eyes. But we do see, we do get a sense that the author of Hebrews really just wants to impress upon you and me the fearful prospect of renouncing your faith either through words or actions. And it's that mindset that you may have had before, you've seen someone in your life say where they're just like, you know what, I'm, I'm done with Jesus. I'm done with this whole church thing. Like, I don't, I just don't, anything to do with this anymore. I'm, t- I'm talking to you right now, if, if you're one of those people that's walking down that road, if you find that this is the drifting that you're seeing in your life and it's slowly leading you farther and farther away, the author is just throwing up a huge warning sign in front of you saying that escape from God just is not possible. We saw escape wasn't possible under the old covenant, so How much more impossible is it under this new covenant if you are outside the union of Christ? So to reject Jesus, yes, it is a fearful thing. Now I understand that this can feel heavy, but we actually are given as Christians another kind of motivation for staying on course and not drifting away. And um, you can actually see that too. You'll be comforted by uh, the words of David um, in his uh, Psalm 139 that he beautifully wrote, with it, just with this idea in mind. And that whole chapter, he's illustrating just the fullness of God's presence in his life, where he says things like, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? And he goes on to say, how precious to me are your thought, thoughts, O God. And then finally he says, lead me in the way everlasting. So whereas you can see, Not being able to escape God is a fearful thing. David sees it as a precious thing. To know God fully, to know that he is ever-present in his life, it is a blessing and a gift. So if we seek to know God and to pursue and accept his presence, we, we also get to participate in the blessing of this great salvation, which then leads, I think, to our last point where we see a call to embrace. We're going to take a look at the final part of our passage uh, in verses 3 and 4 here. It says, It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. 
So, whereas the law that the author just referenced was delivered by angels, the gospel of our salvation that our passage is connecting to from chapter 1 was declared through the Son of God himself, the superior message. That when the eternal Son of God took on human flesh and he came to earth to save us from our sins, we see that he declared as our great prophet the fullness of the gospel message that we have come to believe and receive. We see this evidence of this authority and action all throughout the gospels and the teaching ministry of Jesus. You look at Matthew 5, you know, a very famous sermon on sermon from Jesus, where he delivers this sermon with an authority that just astounds the people listening. You look at Luke 4, Jesus is standing in the synagogue in Nazareth, and with this same authority, he declares something bolder than any prophet would have dared to declare, where he says that in him alone there is comfort in his everlasting salvation that he accomplishes as our mediator, our perfect prophet, and king. And so we see all of this in view when the author of Hebrews then tells us that the message we have come to receive and believe was delivered by the Lord God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. He's the one who came to earth to atone for our sins and to vanquish sin and death. And he declared that in him the kingdom of God had come on, and on the cross declared that the work of redemption that he had accomplished was finished. Now the readers of this letter were not first-hand witnesses to the ministry of Jesus, but rather they, they heard the gospel message through other accounts. And they're starting to feel that, that spiritual apathy already. So in verse 3, the author is assuring his readers that this message was, in fact, declared by Jesus. It was affirmed and declared by his disciples, who were then, in turn, validated by the resurrected Lord himself. And those same mighty works and signs and wonders that God performed through Jesus were poured out by the Holy Spirit to validate the messengers who followed Christ, who then brought that same gospel message to the world, who then wrote down what they declared for generations long after they were gone for us here in this room today. And just as signs and wonders attested to God's endorsement of the messenger and the message in Jesus, so too in the days of the apostles, signs and wonders accompanied their ministry as Hebrews is referencing here. This was not uh, for their own means. This was to validate and authenticate the gospel message that they carried. But we see from this author's warnings that even these Christians, this one generation out, they're they're feeling that tiredness spiritually. They're feeling that apathy in their spiritual life. And the author of Hebrews is just calling on them to not drift, calling on them to pay attention, to stay focused, and to be on course and on track with the gospel message. So we, I, I know that we don't have the same like, signs and wonders in the exact same way that our first century believers got to witness. We don't have Jesus physically in this room with us right now. He's in the heavenly places reigning at this time. But this is not a sign that we are at a disadvantage. While we may lack the physical presence of Christ, we may lack interaction with the apostles face to face, but we have right here the same word of God that they spoke, that they read, 
We have the same spirit who then confirms that word in our hearts. Each time we open God's word and read scripture of the gospel message, that's declaring our salvation right there. So with all this known, what then is our motivation for staying the course when we find ourselves drifting? I would say it's the fullness of the gospel message that was spoken first by the prophets, proclaimed and accomplished by the Son, and attested to by the apostles. All of this has been preserved in the word of God that we have readily available to us. We have access to it so easily. It's in the the ministry of the Holy Spirit also who powerfully speaks into our hearts. We have access to all of this as followers of Jesus. So this is how we take heed of the things we have heard. It's not through any of our own power. It's not through our own abilities. But it's through the power of the Holy Spirit who has been poured out to us and ministers to us. Yes, we do see that there absolutely are clear cautions to fear and we must take these warnings seriously. But we also do see that there is a tremendous amount of encouragement that we can cling to. And with all that, um, I just want to take some time to, for some self-assessment here just to ask yourself a couple of um, applicational questions as takeaways from this passage. The first question to ask yourself is, are you currently drifting? Has the Lord uh, maybe just given clear to you an area of your life that you are just drifting away from him? And I, I think that there's a few ways that drifting can happen. You know, in this idea of being on the water, as we've talked about, maybe for you, the water's just got rough. Maybe they, the water just got choppy. And so you just, you moved your boat somewhere else to calmer water. Maybe you're at the point where you've just, maybe you've just started to ditch Christianity as a whole because uh, life gets hard or you're facing s- some suffering. And we see that this author in Hebrews 10 addresses this where he says in verse 32, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, but sometimes, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. But after all that, in verse 35, he says to, to the readers, do not throw away your confidence. So maybe... You were once so firm in your faith. And then maybe you got sick. Or maybe someone in your life got sick. Maybe someone close to you pushed you away because of your faith. Maybe you've just struggled with your kids or your marriage. Maybe something difficult happened in your life where it just broke you down to the point where you said, is this even worth it? What is the point of this Christian life if I have to continue to endure all of this suffering. So you gave in, you you pulled up your anchor, and you let yourself float away somewhere else. Or maybe another scenario, maybe you just simply moved to another part of the water because it seems more enjoyable. You know, this Christianity thing, it felt fresh and new and exciting at first. And you found purpose, you found order, and you liked the fellowship and the activities that came with it. And then you learned, like, 
oh, you have to actually change. You learn that because of following Jesus, you needed to actually give up some things in your life. Maybe you have an addiction to work or alcohol, or maybe it's your anger, your unforgiveness, your pride, your selfishness. That list goes on and on and on. And you realize that following Jesus meant you couldn't live however pleased you. That belonging to God meant more sacrifice than you really were ready for. So once again, you decide to pull up that anchor and you move downstream somewhere, you know, where it just you, it let, lets it slide a little bit more. Maybe somewhere where you could enjoy this life because, as we like to hear, God, God wants us to enjoy life. God wants us to have fun, to enjoy this world, but only in the way that we imagine it to, to be, right? So maybe you find some message that you cling to that skips over the messier topics, maybe something that uh, avoids any personal conviction, but it keeps you feeling good. But then you may find you come to church sometimes, but, you, it, but once you really evaluate your life, you are really nowhere near where you once were spiritually. You've drifted away. I think possibly one of the, the easiest ways that we can drift from our faith is not even choosing to pick up and go somewhere else because of any, uh, any suffering or an allure of sin and pleasure uh, at, at the beginning of it. You can just mindlessly drift. Maybe you just you lay back in your, your little boat that you got there. Maybe you didn't even bother with an anchor because you felt so secure in where you were spiritually. I mean, to the point that you're like, I'm good, I'm going to take a little nap. I'm good, I don't need to stay alert to anything. You hear that alarm go off, you hit that snooze, there's a snooze button on your boat. Uh, you just need those extra minutes of sleep because you're good, you're, you're good where you're at. Until you finally wake up and you realize that you are nowhere near where you were before. And because you didn't even bother with an anchor, you've drifted to territories that are so unknown to you so unfamiliar that you have no idea where you're at. It was just wherever the current of culture and life took you because drift is not always so easily perceptible. Drift may not always be this recognizable thing until you are pulled far enough from where you were that, and you see the distance it's created from where you thought you were so securely anchored. This isn't a question of slipping in and out of justification for sins, just back and forth, back and forth, when you are assuredly in Christ. But there are times in our lives, oftentimes when we drift, it leads us into sin. Maybe there's unbiblical doctrine that might take hold or just societal pressures uh, that, that cause you to embrace things that are just in contrast to the truth of Scripture. And then there's moral persuasions that can move you away from your pursuit of holiness. And please hear me. I, I understand that oftentimes, initially, we don't mean to drift. It's, it's not something you intended to happen in your life. I know that full well. I've experienced that in my life. but you got busy or you just got lazy 
Maybe you're stressed out at work and you're just trying to make ends meet. Maybe you're doing the best you can. Maybe you just need a break. Maybe you just need to sleep in just one Sunday because I'm just so exhausted. You don't have any idea what I've been going through. I just need one minute without you asking how I'm doing spiritually, without you checking in. Just give me one second because I'm hurting and I'm broken and I'll get back to Jesus in a minute. Would you just give me a second to breathe? And the next thing you know, you're gone. You're nowhere. You're not the person you once were. You don't even recognize yourself. And the word of God has been choked out by the worries of this life. And through all that, the lack of God's word, the lack of prayer, you see a heightened passion of sin, which pushes you then to even doubt your own standing with Christ and the gospel promises. And doubt does not necessarily mean, it doesn't mean you've, uh, remove the assurance. That's not what I'm saying here. But it does point to a problem of the heart. And it's disconnect from the promises of the gospel. It points to a bigger issue where you need to evaluate your standing in Christ. When doubt begins to rise in our lives, it is imperative that we turn again to the word of God to, to, to correct the occurring drift. And we do that through some of those seemingly ordinary Sunday school answers, you know, where you engage in God's word again. You engage in prayer with the Lord. You engage in fellowship with other believers. Because in Christ, we have every reason to be assured of our salvation. So the invitation to then pay attention to the promises of the gospel and to hear the word of the Lord is so important. This, I think, leads to the second uh, closely related applicational question to ask yourself. Are you listening to the message of salvation? You know, we have the responsibility to hear and to take note of this message. But we don't simply hear the message as this good piece of advice, um, you know, comparing it to like philosophers or like a social media influencer who posts a, a nice sounding quote with a cup of coffee and an unopened, unused Bible. No, we're called to hear this message not as just words of men, but for what it truly is. It's, it's the word of God, living and active. It is a word that we treat as the only rule of faith and obedience. It's not only the parts that we think will be acceptable to the world. It's not only the parts that we can smooth over for our own sense of comfort. It's not something that we can take of what we like and leave the rest aside because, you know, culture's changed. The Bible didn't really mean it that way. No, we don't do that. So are you listening to this message of salvation for what it is? And more than that, are you listening to the whole counsel of God? And I think it's, it's fair to acknowledge that there are some complex and even difficult things to understand in Scripture. Um, our, as I mentioned, our young adults, uh, we, before Hebrews, we walked through uh, a series of the minor prophet books. If you've ever done that before, whoo, boy, it's hard to understand. It's hard to digest. And it took us a little while to really soak in everything that we could to learn about the character of God. And I bet if we did that same study again, we'd learn a brand new set of things about our God. But with all that, I also believe that the foundation of our salvation is clearly displayed so that someone who has a PhD or a child can come to saving faith in Jesus. 
But I also don't un expect my six-year-old to understand uh, everything in the Bible. And there's a lot of PhDs that don't understand everything in the Bible, just to be clear here. But we don't ignore something just because we don't understand it. We don't drift from things that don't initially make sense to us. Because I think we can often fall into the trap of only paying attention to things that are abundantly clear to us right away. You ever feel that? And those things in Scripture that we pay attention to are just for, you know, for our salvation and those things that are, seem good and necessary for our lives right now until we encounter some of those more difficult things in Scripture, maybe some of those more hotly debated areas of Scripture. And instead of engaging and paying attention and studying and praying, we just we ignore them. And we let those things drift from our theology because we can't immediately see how those things apply to our lives. But please make no mistake that all doctrine is practical and ap ap applicable and helpful in some form. But sometimes I think we disengage with the counsel of God just too prematurely. I said at the beginning of this message that we want to avoid drifting by paying attention to the gospel of our salvation. It's crucial for us to engage and be present with God's word, even in the parts that are heavier and harder to understand. So, as you listen to scripture and to the message of salvation, listen to all of it for the sake of growing in maturity, just as our passage would have us do. And just to finish things out here, the last question I would probably have you ask is, do you have this salvation? Admittedly, majority of this message has focused on the to topic of our sanctification and growth as Christians in the Christian life and our perseverance in maintaining this course. But maybe, maybe you've read this text, maybe you've heard this message, and you just, you're not sure whether you've come to believe this message of salvation in the first place. And so I say, if that is you, please believe two things here. First, the truth is, the warning of this passage is real. The truth is that there is no escape outside of Christ. And second, I say to you, the invitation stands to hear this gospel message and receive it. To know that this salvation really is available in Jesus Christ and that he has fully satisfied the Father and purchased not only our reconciliation with the Father, but an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven for all those to whom the Father has given. So if you're not sure of your salvation, please don't neglect this. Turn to Christ. Turn to him alone who has freely offered this salvation in the gospel. If you are sure of your salvation, stay the course. Pay attention. Don't neglect it. Recognize your tendencies to drift and engage with God. Engage with your community of believers sitting right here in this room. Sunday mornings, here we are, small groups, young adults, youth groups, serving teams, all of it. Engage with the Lord. Engage with fellow believers. God has given us his son, the one who is superior and greater than any prophet, apostle, and angel. He's the one who's paid our penalty and made a way for us. 
So please acknowledge the great salvation you have been graciously given. Don't neglect, but pay attention and embrace the gospel and let it change you from the inside out. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that your word definitively declares your superiority over everything in this world, over any rulers and dominions and kingdoms of this world, over angels and prophets, priests and apostles. And because we acknowledge your reign over all things, Jesus, we desire for that to be evident in our lives. help us to take advantage of this great salvation that you have graciously made available to us. Help us to not drift away actively or passively from our faith in you, our love for you, and our walk with you. And let us live out the truth that you are to be magnified in our lives and in this world. So Father, we fix our eyes on you. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Pray this all in your name.